one morning I'm doing a meditation up here in Bali and um, or in Ubud, and about third halfway through it, I hear these words, and it's build two pyramids in Ubud. Okay, spirit, you want us to build pyramids? I only spent forty dollars. It's up to you from now on. Yeah. Still a little bit sceptical, I must admit, you know. Well, and it's only hand on heart, seriously, hand on heart. Within three weeks, we had $750,000 in our bank account. Everything is about energy. You know, we got taught at school about the atoms and the molecules rushing around. You are a vibrational being. You know, we're all vibrational beings. Every animal's a vibrational being. Plants, they're all vibrational beings. Respect them as such. Hey guys, welcome to another episode. My guest today is Peter McIntosh. Peter, the co-founder of Pyramids of Chi, which is an innovation to the world through the combination of pyramid power, secret geometry, polar alignment, ancient sounds, and the ever-present magical energy of Bali, which... To be honest, when I first saw it, uh, my mind was blown. In the middle of Bali, there are three huge pyramids and they're doing sound healing there. I never knew what sound healing is, but when I experienced it, it was amazing. So today we're going to talk with Peter about what is sound healing, what did he decide to be, build pyramids in Bali, and how he arrived to it because he has a successful business journey behind him as well. And now he's doing this from his heart. Peter, welcome to the show. Thanks, Anatoly. Pleasure to be here with you and sharing stories and ideas and thoughts and whatever we can think of that might help your listeners. Amazing. Um, I usually start with the backstory, but I'll make an exception. I'll uh, address an elephant in the room here. You built three huge pyramids in the middle of Bali. Let's start with that. Why? Well, Anatoly, it was never never planned. It was not something that we thought out, let's go to Bali and look for a business opportunity. Uh, my wife Lynn and I had been retired. We were traveling around North America. It was our dream. You know, we had a nice big rig over there and we were, I think we crossed Texas three times. We were, we were just having a ball, just doing stuff that we really liked, meeting some amazing people, not spending too much time in any cities, but getting out there and feeling the freedom and escaping from what had been a very, very hectic business life, right? I'd, I'd done everything from satellite communications to marinas to franchises, all businesses that I'd set up over the years, you know. Anyway, uh, one day Lynn said, I'm having trouble seeing out of my, my left eye. And I said, oh, my God. And I looked at it, and there's the beginning of a cataract starting. And then I looked at the other eye, and I said, I think you've got the same problem there. So... In America, of course, you pay a fortune for any sort of hospitalization. So we took ourselves back to Perth, which is our hometown, and um, she went and had the operation. Uh, unfortunately, it turned pear-shaped and didn't work. And one of those one in a thousand cases, and they gave a name to it, and they called it Fuchs dystrophy. Terrible name, you know. It's where the pupil fills up with fluid overnight. And so the next morning is like trying to look through a a very, very um, uh, hazy um, shower screen. And so it took until about four o'clock in the afternoon until she could see out of it again. So the, um, the surgeon looked at it and he said, well, look, you know, probably we're going to have to do a 
transplant, corneal transplant, but let's wait for a couple of months and see how it goes. Well, it wasn't worth heading back to the States, so we came up to Bali. And we're here and we're staying with a couple of friends up here and just hoping that the eye would settle down a bit and, you know, we could avoid having a transplant. But while we're here, I did a meditation one day and Lynn and I had moved, you know, with our retirement, we'd moved out of the whole business focus of getting a a bigger and better car, bigger property, a larger yacht, whatever it might have been, into something a little bit more spiritual, more about not so much making money as it was, making friends, enjoying people, spending money, you know, uh, with enjoyment rather than just necessity or whatever, and pretty well getting away from the whole materialistic issue. So one morning I'm doing a meditation up here in Bali and um, or in Ubud, and about third, halfway through it, I hear these words, and it's, Build two pyramids in Ubud. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I'm sort of shocked at this. I'm thinking, where are those words? And then I thought, it's Mark. It's the guy we're staying with here. He's being an idiot, you know. So I turned around and, you know, I'm looking out over the the gorge of the main river in Ubud, you know, and thinking, where is he? Where is he? And I call out, Mark, Mark, what are you doing? Stop being a dick, you know, come on. And he wasn't there. And then I started thinking, well, it is just after six in the morning. Mark doesn't usually get out of bed much before nine o'clock anyway. Oh, maybe there's something more to this. So I went back into my meditation. And almost immediately I saw an image of the two pyramids that we started with here. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, pyramids, what? So I opened my eyes thinking maybe it's the sun shining through the trees, creating shadows, whatever. But it's only just after six. And at that time of the day, there's really, you know, the sun had barely cleared the horizon, let alone you know, offering any, any sun directly onto me, you know. Oh, my God. I thought, well, this is a, this is a powerful one. So I went in to see Lynn. And um, she was still in bed. It was only before seven. And I said, darling, uh, darling, you know, <laughs> exactly. And, you know, women tend to react when you say that sort of phrase. It's like, what? What have you done now? <laughs> I said, well, I've just done a beautiful meditation. And in that meditation, I got told to build two pyramids. What? Build two pyramids. And she said, did you say pyramids? <laughs> and I said, mm, yeah, pyramids. And she said, Peter, we don't even live here, remember? You know, we sold our place in Australia. We're living our dream, traveling around America. We're retired, you know. What do we want to build pyramids for? I said, well, it was a very powerful message that came through. I heard this, the voice. I heard the, I saw the image, you know. And so typical woman, you know, she applies logic to the whole thing. Yeah. And she says, well, let's think about this. Maybe, maybe... If we can find the land, then, then we'll take it seriously. And it's not just your imagination. Yeah. So we did a bit of research on, on what we wanted and you know, what, what it would take. And, and then we went looking around to see what land was available. We couldn't find anything that felt good anywhere. Seriously couldn't. You know? So we thought, hmm, maybe it is my imagination. Two days before we're due to go back to Perth, we're looking at a piece of land. And I thought, no, this is not right either. So I walked across the road and I was on a rice field and I was walking across the edge of this rice field. 
And all of a sudden, I got the goosebumps right at the back of my arms. And I'm feeling these. I'm thinking, what the heck? I turned to Lynn. I knew she was behind me. And she said, I just got the same. Wow. So by the time we'd made our way down to the bottom of that rice field down by the river, we knew that if we were going to build pyramids, we'd found the place. So we went to see the, uh, the owner of the land. The, uh, the guy that was showing us the other piece of land said, no, he won't sell it to you. He won't rent it to you. He won't lease it to you. He won't do anything because he's one of the wealthier men in the village. And I said, well, you know, let's try. Oh, it's a waste of time. Well, Balinese do not like any form of confrontation. You know, they tend to run away if you confront them. So I kind of raised my voice a bit and said, Newman, Newman, please, I want to see the owner of the land. And, oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. So later that afternoon, I get a phone call from him saying, yeah, come and see me. Let's talk about what you want to do. You want to build a hospital here? And I said, no, no, sound healing centre. Well, you know, a bit of a... Um, a language issue there. But to cut the story short, after a couple of hours, we had negotiated with him to take on this bit over two acres of land and build our pyramids there. So I gave him some money to turn the water off so there was no more rice field happening, you know, let it drain, and headed back to Perth to try and raise the money. So that's kind of how it started. And... uh, you know, it's, uh, it sort of flowed on from there. There are many things I would like to explore more here. One of them you said it came to you in meditation. Mm-hmm. Uh, when did you start meditating and how's your meditation journey been going? Seems like it's not the yeah. first time. No, it wasn't, yeah. We were, um, how can I start this? Literally... We had a very, very successful franchise business. We'd sold over 350 globally. And then 9-11 hit, and everybody started sitting on their thumbs. Didn't want to spend money, worried about when the lights were going to get turned out, you know, this sort of stuff. So we downsized, we downsized, and it got to the point where we were working 70, 80 hours a week, and we thought, this is crazy. We've got the money. We don't need to keep doing this. You know, so we we handed everything over. This was in England, handed it all back to our master franchise back there, headed back to Perth. And once we got back there, we thought we've got to do something. So we did a bit of property development and mucked around a bit, you know. But then a friend of ours got on to us and said, Peter, I've got just the right thing. You've made a lot of success in selling franchises. I've got something we could franchise. Oh, what have you got, Paul? He said, well, I call it the quiet cone. And I'm thinking, oh, hang on, hang on. Is this like as in someone smoking joints or something? <laughs> he said, no, no, nothing to do with that. It's like a, a big Indian teepee, a solid structure. You go inside it and we play gongs and drums and such in there and people lay down on mattresses and, you know, have sound healing. That's what we call it. And my response to Paul was, oh, sounds a bit flaky, Paul. Not really my scene, you know. I was a business entrepreneur. And he said, well, will you at least come up and have a look at it? I'll think about it. I'll think about it. Well, he made another couple of calls to me, and about three months later, uh, I said to Lynn, I said, let's go for a drive this afternoon. You know, we'll drive up into the hills. Where are we going? I said, oh, I don't know. We'll take a drive. And then as we're leaving, I thought, oh, we'll go and see Paul, right? See what this quiet cone thing's all about. Well, once again, we got there and we walked down through the bush from where we had like a reception area 
And it's not a big building, it's only about seven or eight metres high and the same across. Um, but it looks just like a teepee, but it's got about eight sides. So we go inside there, smells beautiful, it's got sandalwood um, uh, burning quietly, you know. And uh, he said, okay, lay down on that mattress. And I'm thought, oh, what do we do now? And then he starts playing these beautiful big gongs. Well, Anatoly, within a minute, it, it had me. Totally captured me. You know, the sounds were just travelling right through me and I thought, this is, this is incredible. So once again, to cut a long story short, within six months, we'd bought 50% share of his business and we bought it out entirely in a year. And so that's how he sort of started down the sound healing Germany journey. Apart from some um, property development, we didn't have a lot going. So he took this on more as a hobby. Yeah. You know, weekends, full moons, things like this. But we loved it. And we loved this, the reaction that the people used to have laying down hearing these sounds, you know. Uh, we got a guy from New York to come out to train us. Uh, the only way we could afford him was... Um, by doing a number of concerts, and they were a huge success. We had six or 700 people showed up for these concerts, which we held on basketball courts, just with our gongs and drums. Yeah. And people loved it. They'd bring in a blanket or something to lay on, and being sprung wooden floors, the, the sounds would resonate everywhere. And so we, we soon came to realize the power of sound healing. So I guess when that meditation suggested we build pyramids in Bali, I thought, I bet I know where this is heading. Yeah. All right. Now, we had actually gone down the spiritual path uh, when we got into those, the, the, the quiet cone because there was a couple of ladies there that were playing the gongs and they looked at us and said, you, know, you guys have got to change your whole outlook. You know, this is not corporate. We're not here just to make money. There's a whole different way of approaching this. And uh, they told us about a couple that taught spiritual awareness, Jackie and Jim Lindsay. They never charged for it. It was all on donation basis. So we took ourselves off and we learned from these guys the whole spiritual awareness issue. And that really, really changed our lives. You know, we we realised that we had to stop prejudging people, look at the priorities in our lives, like maybe spending more time with our grandchildren or our children. And it doesn't matter if you haven't got the latest BMW, you know. The one you've got still gets you there, things like this. So we kind of adopted a whole new approach to life from that point onwards. And... Um, I guess when we got this message in, in Ubud back in 2013 to build these pyramids, I thought, well, what do I do now? I didn't, didn't really know, you know. So we got the land, we secured some land. So we went back to Perth. And of all people, I went and spoke to my ex-wife's husband, Chris. And we get on really well with them, you know. Um, heck, Lynn and I have been together, well, now 26, 28 years come November. So I went back a long way back, you know, and um, I went and saw Chris. And I said, Chris, you're big in financial circles. How do I raise about a million dollars to build a couple of pyramids of barley? Well, he just cracked up, you know, choking on his red wine. And his response was, Peter, haven't you heard about the global financial crisis? 
And my response to that was, oh, come on, Chris, come on. Five years ago, mate, five years ago, they're over that now. He looks me in the eye and he said, Peter, not for building pyramids in Bali, they haven't. <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought, oh, blah. So that was the end of that. So how do we raise the money? You know, we knew from our research it was going to cost us between two and three million. We didn't have that much money. So we, um, we did a thing that uh, Jack and Jim had taught us, which is called automatic writing. And you've got to be fairly connected. You know, you've got to have a strong belief. And we did. We're not religious. We don't go to church, but we do have a strong belief in a higher power, a God, spirit, universe, you know. And we accept all religions as what they are. This is who we believe is in charge. So we thought, well, let's try this automatic writing. So we've, uh, we've gone home, we get a couple of books out. I write down the question, God, if we're meant to build pyramids in Bali, where's the money? A bit tongue-in-cheek, you know. It's still a little bit, hmm, is this really going to happen? There's a lot of money to find. And so Lynn went into the dining room. I'm in the family room. And after about 20 minutes, Lynn comes out and she shows me the writing that she got. And automatic writing is where you literally write with your non-dominant hand, right? So you've got a pen that you've written your question with. You put your pen in your left hand and you wait for the first word to come into your mind. Then the second, the third, the fourth, whatever. You can't anticipate the words. You can't anticipate the sentence. you just got to write them down, and very carefully. Because yeah. if you don't, you'll never be able to read them afterwards. They'll just look like a scribble, you know. Yeah. So she shows me her message, and it says, there are people here waiting to give you the money. I go, oh, my gosh. So I showed her mine, and it said, there are investors wanting to talk to you. Oh, wow. Right, so very quickly, write down the next question, how do we find them? Yeah. You know, like, you know, I'm happy for a telephone number, email, anything. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, typical, typical spirit comes across with four words, don't spend much money. And I go, oh, come on, come on. Spirit, really? Don't spend much money? You know, I've been in business since 1977, how do I find someone with a million dollars to invest if I don't spend some money to locate them, you know, financial review or something like that? And Lynn said, well, that was your message, so we don't spend much money. So in Australia, we have a, a free website called Gumtree, a bit like Craigslist is in America. Yeah. So we put a free ad up on that one. Right? And then I put a little classified ad into the local Saturday morning's uh, newspaper, right? Just had a picture of a couple of pyramids, Bali business opportunity, and a phone number. And so then, literally, I sort of bundled the, the whole idea up in my hands, took it outside, cast it into the sky, and said, okay, Spirit, you want us to build pyramids? Only spend $40. It's up to you from now on. Yeah. Still a little bit sceptical, I must admit, you know. Well, and it's only hand on heart, seriously, hand on heart. Within three weeks, we had $750,000 in our bank account. Wow. Three quarters of a million. So people started calling. Yeah, yeah. I guess what was amazing is the three people that actually said I'm in and they wanted to invest, none of them knew us, 
None of them knew each other, but best of all, not one of them asked to see my business plan yeah. before they said, I'm in. Wow. And this really, so that they were buying off Peter and Lynn and they were buying into a project in Bali. They didn't even ask us a lot of questions about it. They just, they felt good about it and they were right. Um, there were three of them. One of them was certainly not spiritual um, and the other two were sort of borderline. So it was meant to be. Wow. So at that point in time, I jumped on an aircraft, went back to America, sold off our rig and moved to Bali. That's crazy. Mm. So these people knew who you were before? like No, no, never heard of us. Okay, so it's not that your background that was no. a deciding factor, it's just that they somehow believed in the idea that pyramids, <laughs> that's funny, pyramids in well, Bali yeah. is a good well, idea. Well, maybe it was my passion, I don't know what. Maybe, yeah. You know, I tell a bit of a joke about that. Um, my number three son, who was the only spiritual one in the family, I got four sons and two daughters, but he's the only spiritual one. And um, he said to me one day, he said, Dad, Dad, I've been talking to the boys, referring to the brothers, you know. He said, you've done some crazy shit in your life. Excuse me, folks. Now we think you've really lost it. <laughs> Seriously, pyramids in Bali? And we all laughed. Yeah. But, you know, he comes up to Bali now. He's been up many times. And single guy, he tends to look for the single girls that are sitting on a table somewhere and goes and chats them up. But he is the best ambassador for us, fully believes in it. And he's now getting the rest of the family convinced that maybe this is something pretty serious. Yeah. He's seen the healings that take place here. And that, that's something that for someone that's never witnessed that before, it can be quite, uh, quite an eye-opener, quite profound. I know you have a book where you record healing journeys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you share maybe one or two most powerful ones that you remember? Certainly, certainly. We're writing a story on our our journey with the, the pyramids of Chi and every chapter will have one or two stories about some of the most amazing healings and listeners we have had hundreds and hundreds of them we've had heading towards 150,000 people come through wow. the pyramids since we opened in 2017 would have been double that number if we hadn't have had the pandemic we were growing at 80% every year so it's a, You know, for the new business, that was just incredible. So it's been one of those experiences where we've seen people come out of the pyramids and some of them look quite shaken up, others are crying, others are sort of moving very gentle steps because they've really been affected by the vibrations, the frequencies, the... Pyramid energy, uh, it's another topic to talk about, the actual energy that pyramids hold, the whole experience while they've been in there. And one of my favourites is a lady from Atlanta, a black lady, um, very large woman. She came to us one day and I was sitting up in the cafe talking to another lady and I looked down and I saw that everybody had come out of this session, but I hadn't seen the, the gong master come out at that point in time. And then about 20, 30 minutes later, I saw Didi, our gong player, come out, and she had this lady with her, the, you know, this large black lady. 
And they had a, a big hug, and then Dee Dee's pointing up at me up in the up in the cafe, and it's you know hundred meters away. And so this lady, you know, comes rushing up to me, and she says, "Are you Peter? You're the one that gives heart to heart hugs." <laughs> I yeah. Said, "Yeah, I've got a bit of a reputation for doing that sort of stuff." And in plaintive tone, she says, "Peter, can I have can I have one of your special hugs?" I said, it's not that special, but love to. And we do the heart-to-heart hug, which is opposite to the normal hug. Instead of hugging over somebody's uh, right shoulder, you hug over their left shoulder. So you put your heart in line with their heart. Well, it would have been three minutes at least that we embraced. And she was sobbing. She was absolutely sobbing. When When we eventually parted, my shirt was soaking wet from her oh. tears, you know. And she turned to the lady that um, I'd been talking to and she said, I'm very, very sorry for interrupting your conversation. I'll go now. And Peter, thank you so much for uh, the most amazing hugs. And I said, no, no. You know, I'd like you to share what's happened today. And so this lady looks down at the, this friend of ours sitting on the table the friend said, no, sit down, sit down. Her name was Angelique, which is quite amazing, you know, considering everything, you know. Yeah. And so Angelique sits down, and I said, so tell me what happened or what brought you to this point? And she says, well, it's rather a tragic situation. Almost three years ago, my husband uh, developed cancer, right, and it got so bad he ended up in hospital. And I was going in pretty well every evening to see him because I was still working. I'd, you know, spent so much time with him and then he passed away. But it created quite a few issues for me. One is that um, the bank stepped in because he was no longer the um, principal earner and could I meet the mortgage? And to be honest, I couldn't, you know. Even though he's in hospital, he still was under a health benefit scheme. Um, what else? Oh, her children had stopped talking to her. Uh, I never really got the full story, but I believe it had something to do with uh, her and his choice of the medications, whereas the kids thought they should have been doing something else. And so she was out on it. And then she lost, you know, she lost her job. She lost her house. And she's really on her own. And she's speaking to one of her friends, and the friend said to her, she called her Angel, Angel, you need to hit the reset button. You need to get out of Atlanta and go somewhere, hit the reset button and find out what you're meant to do. So Angel went down to the local uh, travel office, and there's a big picture of Bali, a big poster of Bali up on the wall. And she just points at that, and she says, I need to go there. And she still had a little bit of money saved, so... She took herself off to Bali. Um, the first night she spent in Sanua, got off the aircraft, found a nearby um, bed and breakfast, stayed there. And while she was there, she was talking to the lady who ran that place and she told her her story about what had happened, a tragic story. And this lady says, straight off, you've got to get in a, a cab tomorrow and go up to Ubud and you've got to go into the pyramids and have a sound healing. And so she came up and that's what she did. 
Uh, and she said, Peter, that was the most profound thing that's ever happened to me in my whole life. And, you know, it's still very misty. By this time, my friend and I were all sort of having a bit of a, a weep, you know, because of what an amazing story, you know. And she said, now I just feel like there's such a weight lifted off my shoulders. You know, now I've got clear eyes for the first time in, in you know, three years. I now know that what happened to my husband was meant to be. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do uh, from here on in because uh, I'm, you know, I'm virtually retirement age anyway. So we'll see. And I was, my response was just hand it up. Hand it up to God. Hand it up to Spirit, Universe, Krishna, whatever you might believe in. Hand it up and wait and see what's meant to be. So with that, she she left, uh, went down to stay in the place she's staying, which is only probably about three or 500 metres away from our place. The next morning, she comes rushing in, spots me in the in the cafe. We've got a, as you know, a big cafe. And she comes rushing across there, Peter, Peter, I've got something to tell you, Peter. I'm thinking, oh, God. I wonder what this is going to be about now, you know. Rushing over, another big hug, but a, a quick one this time, not a three-minute <laughs> one. And she says, Peter, you're not going to believe it, but early this morning I get a text from my son and daughter-in-law saying, will you please, please call us now? So she picks up the phone and she calls them. And... The end result of that call was they said, we need you back here as grandma oh, wow. to our children. So I'm howling my eyes. How I get emotional just telling the story, you know. And she said, so I've got my answer. I'm going back to Atlanta. I'll be granny or grandma, I don't care what, to my two little uh, grandchildren. They're going to uh, build me a granny flat onto their house and um, it's a pyramid. It's you. It's coming to Bali. It's happened. I said, well, spirit works that way. Hit the reset button, and guess what? It's happened. So I've got loads and loads, Anatoly, of stories that are very emotional. Some I would not tell you because I never tell them to people until they've been in the pyramids because my favorite saying is expect the unexpected. People have things happen to them in there that they never anticipated. I've had skeptics go in there, totally didn't want to be there, only there because their wife said they had to be, you know. Yeah. Um, and they've come out blown away with the experience I've had there, literally. And some of them have been quite, quite incredible, you know. We have... Um, have people have gone astral planing in there. Oh, Sergey, a, a guy from Uluwatu that comes up every couple of weeks, yeah. he goes into the Sun Pyramid, just has the regular ancient sound session, he goes astral planing. Now, for you listeners out there, if you don't know what astral planing is, imagine Peter Pan, and you're just like Peter Pan, or you're Jacques Cousteau, you know, and you're underwater. But you're just you're just hovering. You're you know you're airborne. You're in the water. You're weightless. You know whatever it might be, 
and you're looking down or looking around and you can see these things and it's the most ethereal feeling. Um, and I've had so many people that have experienced that. And Sergei has it happened to him. Every time he comes up, he said, you know what, Peter, I could tell you everything that I saw or felt for that one hour in there. So it's not something I, I forget about like a dream. I just I live it, you know. Yeah. It'll keep me going for another couple of weeks and then I'll come back for another one, you know. And so we've had many, many amazing things happen inside the pyramids. That's crazy, yeah. I've been there maybe three, four times. And yeah. I, yeah. I completely love it. Again, I was a skeptic as well because when people come to Bali, there's so many things that you're not exposed to, like if you live in the West, let's sure. say. Sound healing for me was like, what? Why would you heal with the sound? I still don't completely understand it, so I want to talk a little bit about like the power of the sound. Sure. But I I use some psychedelics, and I always know when I'm like in this heightened state, the music or sound is something that really directs your thoughts. Mm. So I really understand how sound, if you're tuning into it, can change your vibrations and change your life. But... In, I guess you did some research about mm-hmm. sound and how mm-hmm. sounds heals. For people who are not in this and don't know anything about it, how did sound affect us? Well, sounds, that, that's a very good question, Anatolia. Sound healing has been around longer than history has, all right? You know, we, we probably saw movies many, many years ago, the witch doctor rattling his rattles and you know, all those sorts of things and thought, the man's crazy, what's he hoping to achieve? All the instruments that we play in our ancient sound, which is our signature sessions in the Sun Pyramid, the instruments are all ancient origin, right? The big gongs created in, I believe, in Mesopotamia 10, 15,000 years ago. Um, some people say they were created by the Chinese, but we've we've done more research and found that it goes back further than that. The didgeridoo, you know, the Australian instrument that the natives play, no one has any idea how long that has been around. Drums. Drums were probably one of the first instruments ever used. Maybe they were just done on a hollow log, but drums, very primal sound. Flutes. Same again, people playing on a reed or something like that and creating a different sound. So they're all instruments that were created not for music, all right? not for music, they're created for healing. And the way that works is every instrument creates different frequencies. The reason we really focus more on the gongs than anything else is the gong is second only to the human voice in being able to work on our energy centers. We have seven key energy centers in our body, right? The Chinese portray them as like um, uh, spinning discs. Uh, They start at the base, which is right down at your bottom there, and they work up through the sacral, the solar plexus, the heart chakra, which is the one we have most uh, results from, the throat chakra, the third eye, which is between your eyes on your forehead, and then the crown chakra, which is on the top of your head. And as we play these instruments, the sounds bounce off the walls, because remembering the walls are sort of all angled back down onto the people laying on the mattresses. Uh, They angle back down the sound as well, and it works up through your chakras, through your energy centers. 
And as they're doing that, quite often they'll rebalance one or two. All right. Now, it's very hard to quantify that in um, uh, scientific terms because most people uh, are not prepared to understand that side of life that we have these uh, energy centres in us which can't be seen on an X-ray, you know? Anyway, um, the, the way those vibrations and frequencies and sounds work is they calm you down in every which way. Constantly I get people coming to me that have been before and they say, my God, I got the best ever sleep after a session. In your I heard that, yes. yeah. That's what I remember. It is, and you know, and because what's happened is your, 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 your whole energy, your whole your throat chakra and your solar plexus and your sacral and heart carries a lot of stress, you know, and emotional issues and things like that. And so when these sounds work across those spinning discs and rebalance them, and if you can imagine a, a CD playing on a, a CD player, and it might get a bit of a wobble up, you know, and then the sound gets very distorted and breaks in it and everything else, whereas once that vibration's moved across it, it's smoothed it all out, you're not getting that anymore. And so... I have people coming out of the pyramids and approaching me time and time again and saying, I don't know what you've got there, but it sure does work. Yeah. But then on top of the sound healing is the power of pyramids. Now, that's another entire form of healing. Sacred geometry, as it's known as, the city of Jerusalem was built around sacred geometry. All ancient pyramids all over the world are the same. They're all built to sacred geometry. They all have an angle at the base of 52 degrees or 51.8 right degrees at the base, and they all have one wall that faces exactly true north, not magnetic north because that moves, but true north. And so it doesn't matter where you go in the world, and there are pyramids under every ocean, on every continent. You know, you can dive on pyramids off the uh, in the Sea of Japan. You know, a lot of people know of the pyramids in uh, Central America or uh, Mexico or obviously Egypt, but they are everywhere. There's very, very few countries or even islands in the world that haven't got pyramids there. And we believe that pyramids were built as energy centres, purely that. How they use that energy is something we can have a lot of conjecture, fantasy, whatever about. But there are energy centers all over the world. Uh, and there's many experts that have written books after books after pyramids and the results that you know you can achieve from them. Photos of rays of light coming out of the top of them, of all sorts of things. And for those that are still uh, you know, following the Egyptologist beliefs, well, sorry, that's a load of nonsense. Seriously, seriously is. I've never found any burial evidence in any pyramid anywhere in the world. And as I say, they're all over. Uh, Guatemala, for instance, has more pyramids in that country than the rest of the world put together. Why? Wow. I don't know. I had a lady uh, visit us one day and I was doing a bit of an introduction, and she said, do you know that Guatemala has got many hundreds of pyramids? And I said, well, 
I know Central America's got a lot of pyramids. And she said, well, recently we had an aircraft overflying the jungles of Guatemala and using uh, laser-penetrating radar uh, looking for these pyramid structures. They found over 700 of them. Wow. And I thought, wow, that is amazing. I was repeating that story about three months later to a group, and one lady started laughing. I said, oh, what's funny? And she just laughed, and she said, oh, look, you know, that story's true, Peter. Oh, thank heavens for that. You know, I don't want to be <laughs> repeating something that wasn't true. Um, I had looked up the internet and sort of verified it to some extent, but I didn't read the full story. And she said, well, the reason I know it's true is I was one of the pilots on that aircraft. Wow. I said, seriously? She says, yeah. We were chartered by National Geographic. I said, unbelievable. I said, but what's funny about it all? And her response was, we ran out of charter time. We only covered half the jungle. Oh, wow. So yeah. how many pyramids in Guatemala? Who knows? But certainly an extra 700 that were chartered then have been grown over by jungles, you know? Yeah. So it's not a, I mean, what I got from it, it's not really a burial place like people think. No, that never. All never. the pyramids were just as like big like Taj Mahals of Egypt to to bury the the pharaohs but it's not it's, it's also not. no it's yeah. not no what what are, what they do is they create their own energy right because of that sacred geometry factor some of the people that really have learned more about the uh, sacred geometry are the russians they have built many commercial pyramids in russia Right. Interesting. And um, not far outside of Moscow, they built several pyramids over the top of oil wells. Okay. Now, when that oil comes out of the ground, by the time it gets to the tank, it's almost 30% refined. Wow. And there's no explanation for that. And then um, it's something to do with electromagnetic energy, I suspect. But anyway, they've done tests where they have a hothouse and they have a pyramid, right? conventional hothouse and they'll put seedlings in there and they'll put the same seedlings into the pyramids in the center raised maybe a third of the way up and after a month they'll pull those seedlings out the ones in the pyramid are three times bigger than the ones in the hothouse now you can find this all you have to do is google russian pyramids mr yeah. google will tell you all about it there's plenty of websites explaining just how they've achieved all this. Wow. So pyramids do have special, special energies. So you combine that energy with the uh, vibrations, the frequencies of the instruments, and the presence of a lot of people and their energy as well within the pyramid at the time that session's taking place, and, of course, spirits there as well. Yeah. So add it all up, and it's an instant cocktail. Wow. Yeah, because thinking about it, pyramid is not like for living, let's say. It's not the best structure. It's very yeah. inefficient. Mm. But then if they were still building it, it means that somebody lived in them as well because mm. it could be like a home. No. So there's something about it more than just, oh, well, I'm building a house. Well, they're tricky to build as well because if you ever look at a pyramid, you think, well, how did they build that? Because you can't build it like a conventional building. You can't put scaffolding around it. 
because yes. of the shape. So you've actually got to build it from the inside out. Wow. Which is really, really tricky, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. And you have three of them right now. Yeah, yeah. We have two that have been made with uh, what we call a space frame construction and then an interior wall and an exterior wall. And then we have another one which is built entirely out of timber. So, yeah. And they all have the most incredible acoustics. Yeah. And that's what's special about them. Wow. That's that's very cool. Um, the one thing that I'm very interested in, that you're saying how you're connecting with a higher power that mm -hmm. it told you to build pyramids and then at one point you wrote down something and spirit told you the answer. Many people will be like, I want to learn how to do that. But mm. I assume it's not as trivial as just, okay, I'll take something from my right hand and then I'll write with my left hand and I'll get an answer. So how can um, people connect more to their well, self, higher selves? And it's all, it comes down to faith. You've got to have faith, you know. That's why people go to churches and pray. They've got faith. And many of them believe that the only way to really connect is in a church, which I think is crazy. You know, you don't need a full walls to connect with God or Spirit, Universe or uh, Krishna or Buddha or any of the other entities that, you know, people have their beliefs in. So for me it all comes back to having faith that if you ask for something, no, you don't ask for it. You don't ask. You say thank you. If you say thank you for something, it will happen, right? If you ask, there's an element of doubt about it, right? Now, a lot of people say they've got a belief, say they've got faith, but in practicing it might be another whole different thing. Now, for Lynn and I, we had our faith, and sure, we had our doubts, like, you know, where did that voice come from? How is it created? How did I see pyramids? I hadn't, pyramids were the furthest thing from my mind, you know. But what we did is we followed our hearts. When those messages came to us, we followed our hearts. You know, your viewers can visit us and would go into one of the pyramids and they might well get a message. They may get some healing. It can be physical. It can be mental. It can be emotional. Or they might actually get a message. And the message could be something like, you know, you need to leave your partner, you know, your relationship is over because you're, you know, you're destroying yourself and you're destroying your family. Or it could be you need to build pyramids in Sedona and Arizona. Yeah. Who knows? Whatever message you receive, you're in a beautiful place for receiving that. Um, and you don't even have to have the faith to start with because those messages will come through whether you're ready to receive them or not. But if you are ready to receive them, and if you do take them on, uh, you know, your faith just goes up in leaps and bounds. And, you know, the way to do the, um, the automatic writing, or some people use pendulums. I also have rods, just, you know, metal rods, copper rods, which will give us messages from a higher power. And it's just about finding the right people that can instruct you on that how to do it you know they're not complicated rods pendulums they're all super super simple but they don't work without having a belief yeah you know i also find 
sometimes I'm getting some messages, but like many people, I'm not listening. I'm like, okay, that's not true. That just some that is something in my head. But if we really be able to listen to our thoughts and what's coming, I think that will be they'll they'll make the biggest difference because people just not listening, right? You're spot on. You're spot on. Too many of us ignore messages. You can call it a gut feeling for men. You can call it intuition for women. And we think, no, 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 no. It's just my imagination or whatever. We have got to change our mindset. If we're in the right place to receive a message, um, and it can be home in bed, it can be walking the gardens, it can be down on the beach, it can be in pyramids, it can be anywhere you choose. If you're getting a strong, strong message comes through, then don't dismiss it. The best thing you can do is write it down so you don't forget it. But then think about as you're going to bed that night. First thought in the morning is, you know, where's that message leading? What do I need to do? What's it all about? You know, Because we don't get them too often, but when we do get them, it's important to, to listen and follow and, and have that strength of character to follow through on it. You know, um, it's like the one I mentioned just beforehand where that lady came to me and she told me and she said, what do I do with that message? And I said, there's only one thing you can do and that's make up your own mind. You know, think about it. Does this resonate with you? Does it sound like the right thing? You know, is your husband causing you grief in your marriage? Because if you feel he is, well, then you've got to question it and say, is it the right thing to do to separate or whatever? Now, that lady came back almost a year after that to visit me, and she came specifically to Bali. Get this, specifically to Bali. Barbara was her name, to tell me that that was the most important thing she'd ever done in her life. Wow. And listening to that particular message. I said, well, how do you know? You know, maybe it could have worked out if you'd put more effort into different ways. And so she found out that he had a medical condition that she never even knew about and that he was a bit bipolar. And uh, she hadn't been able to explain why he had these fits and mood swings and everything else, but she got it in the pyramids. And, you know, that's not an unusual occurrence. I've had many people come to me and say, what does this mean? And I said, you've got to ask yourself what it means. Well, go and ask Google, you know, but you've got to act on your own feelings but not quickly not jump in and do something because you think you heard something or you think you got something you've got to really seriously contemplate it give it thought but then if you feel it is right do it we had so many naysayers like my son had so many naysayers at the beginning saying you know even people on facebook saying what pyramids at bali what are they kidding who are they you know, pyramids in Egypt, maybe, but you don't go building pyramids in Bali. What's it got to do with Bali? And, you know, I had some pretty strong words until I realised that don't, don't even go there. That's their journey. You know, I know yeah. I'm on the right path. And since we started on that, we get messages every day through actions of others, through things happening around the pyramids, just confirming that we're on the right path. You know, we've never been more content than where we are right now doing what we're doing. (laughs) 
I get friends in America and Australia calling me up and saying, Petty, you got the best ever retirement. Yeah, travelling around America, living a dream, meeting beautiful people, you had you got the money, you know, now you've gone back to work. Why are you doing it? You know what I do? Right. I send them a picture of me surrounded by five nice looking ladies talking with them, you know, which I do all the time, whether it's ladies, whether it's couples, whether it's guys, whatever. Uh, and I say, what I do is not work. Yeah. End of story, guys. And it isn't because, you know, I'm connecting with people and there might be some people there that have had a real, real drama in their lives and I'm able to, you know, give them some counselling. Not that I'm a, uh, I've ever taken any courses in counselling, but, you know, I listen to my own messages, my own hearts, and I look at the people and I do that. But then there's other people that just want to say, like I've just come from the reason I was a little bit late. This lady's come all the way up from Australia to see us, you know, specifically to see us, you know. And Angie just, she said, Peter, I just love you guys. I love you so much. And when my friend said, let's go to Bali, I just couldn't wait to get a ticket. So she brought her daughter up with her. And um, they're just so thrilled to be here. Now, most of the people that visit us now come from a thing called word of mouth. Yeah. Someone's told them about us, so they come and visit. Now, I've been in marketing all my life. Started off in the airlines in marketing, you know. And that's a long time, you know. That's over 50 years in marketing. Never have I seen a result like we have where over 80% of the people that visit us are because they're either coming back for another uh, session or someone's told them about us. Yeah. And, you know, I had a lady recently that said, because uh, I often ask, I, I try to talk to as many of our visitors as I can, which is not easy when, you know, on a full moon you've got 66 people there, you know. Yeah. Um, but I often ask them, how did you hear about us? And just about every time they'll tell me, oh, so-and-so told me, you know. Or one lady the other day said, well, I was actually in a transit lounge in Qatar and I'd gone to get a cup of coffee and I was sitting there having a coffee and I was talking to another lady that was also in, a, in the transit waiting. She was going back to London. This lady had come out of Manchester, I think, coming to Bali. And they got talking, and the woman going back said, "Well, whatever you do, you make sure you go to the pyramids of Chi." Yeah, you know, and so that's that's the sort of stuff that's happening, and that's a flow on of energy, positive energy. Yeah, and listeners, seriously, everything is about energy. You know, we got taught at school about the atoms and the molecules rushing around. You are a vibrational being. You know, we're all vibrational beings. Every animal's a vibrational being. Plants, they're all vibrational beings. Respect them as such. Give them the respect. Love them, enjoy them, share with them. And you'll be surprised, particularly if you're going in with a real positive frame of mind and one that is is a happy frame of mind, is a, a caring frame of mind. Do it and see what responses you get. Forget about this crap of bitching and moaning and whinging and complaining. You know what that does? Eats you out inside. Totally eats you out. You know, give out good vibes and you get it back. Yep. You know, since we had the pandemic issue and it's caused so much grief 
to so many of the uh, the people here in Bali because 80% of them survived on tourism and all of a sudden they turned the tap off. So whether I was driving my car or riding my scooter, everybody I saw, I always smiled at them. I didn't know them, but I just kept smiling. And in most cases, I get smiles back. And I've had feedback from some people, particularly the Balinese, say, why do you always smile at me? Why are you so happy? I said, because I want you to smile as well. And they said, well, yeah, I went home and I, I told my wife, this man smiled at me. I feel good. Nice. And I smile back. You know, you pass it forward all the time. You give out good stuff, you get it back. We used to teach the law of attraction for years, you know, when, when, we, when we started on that spiritual path. And what we do know is what you give out comes back. You can call it karma, you can call it law of attraction, you can call it the bounce back, going around in circles, whatever. But if you give out nonsense, you're going to get nonsense back. But if you give out good stuff, that's what you'll receive. And there's nothing nicer than someone smiling at you and you're smiling back at them and you both feel good. Yeah, 100%. Uh, what's the next 10 years look like for Pyramids of Chi? Sure, look, um, the pandemic... I mean, it's got to be the greatest marketing campaign that ever anybody's ever come up with in the uh, the history of the world to convince the whole world they're going to die of a virus. Come on now, you know how many people have seen someone fall dead in front of them on the, walking down the main street of whatever town they're in? You know, so you'd probably get an idea where my viewpoint is on this whole pandemic scheme or scandemic, as some people call it. Look, at the end of the day, everybody. We've all been through in the last few years a pretty tough time. You know, we've got 40 staff and our accountants told us in the beginning, look, just send them home. We couldn't do that. Some of them are the only income earners in their in their kampong. There could be four families. So we kept them all on and, you know, we had various members of staff doing weeding, doing painting, doing repair work, anything to make sure they got a bowl of rice at the end of the day, you know. So... These last two years has had an impact on so many people in so many ways. And the fear campaign that the media has been conducting is horrible. It's terrible. It's, it's baseless. It's ridiculous. But many, many people, and we'll all know them, have picked up on this fear. And maybe you're one of them. Maybe you're, you know, the listeners I'm referring to, maybe you're holding on to the fear. Maybe you want to wear a mask every time you go outside, whatever it might be. Well, my feeling on that is let go of the fear because fear is not a good thing to carry around inside you. It hurts. It brings you down, puts you into depression, anguish, all sorts of stuff. Let go of the fear. I guess for us, one of the things that came out of that is we're now seeing a lot of people coming back to visit us and they're not just coming back to do one session like they used to and then have a meal. We've now expanded it to 30 different experiences they can do at the pyramids. And so they're staying on and doing all sorts of different things. You know, it's all healing, all healing related, and they're loving it. But for us, what we've also realized is there's a great population base that are scared now of going overseas. Right? They're worried about a lockdown. They're worried about not being able to get home again. All of those terrible, terrible things that the media really hammered home to everybody. 
And, and we heard some terrible stories coming through in the media that were totally untrue. Numbers of, you know, for being Australian, 45,000 Australians stranded overseas, can't get home. Sorry, everybody had the opportunity to go home. There might be 45,000 Australians living overseas that would like to go home, or maybe 10,000, you know. And then, of course, it got to a stage where it got very expensive because the airlines weren't flying. But for those that wanted to get home, they did get home. But what we do know now is that the tourist market, which is our biggest market rather than the locals, they're travelling more domestically than they are internationally. The domestic market is, is going to be a big one. I was down in Australia a few months ago looking at a place down there called Byron Bay. We're very keen on establishing the pyramids down there. Our longest-serving gong player, um, gong master, Kevin went back to Sedona, where he's from. We've been to Sedona several times. We'd love it. Very spiritual place. Uh, very popular place for tourists. Uh, he went back there looking to see if we can get some land so that we can build the pyramids back there. Couldn't find any. So if anybody out there is from Sedona, <laughs> they got some land, contact us. You know. Uh, so we're looking at places all over. Talking to a lady that came to visit me two days ago. She got a couple of hotels down in Seminyak. Uh, they're wellness-type hotels. Uh, she's from Taiwan. She's bringing Chinese people from Taiwan out. The Taiwanese are more open to yoga, to wellness, to, you know, health and wellness activities, you know, than the general population of China are. They tend to be pretty well conditioned. And then she said to me, so the same question you've just asked me, what are you going to be doing in the future? And I said, you know, we're going to go global. <gasps> Would you consider building one in Taiwan? So of course, you know, I've been there three times. I love that island, beautiful island. And um, so we got talking, and um, the long and the short of it all, Jan, her name was, she left thinking very seriously about, is there an opportunity for me to build in, in Taiwan? And so we had, before the pandemic, had 27 expressions of interest from people all over the world that wanted to build pyramids in their own uh, their own country, their own town, whatever it might be. So we do see it being more of a domestic market in the future. And, you know, over the last almost 10 years, we've created a whole system, procedure, call it whatever you like, so that we could virtually go into any place on this planet and uh, set up a Pyramids of Chi very quickly because we've got architects, we've got builders, we've got people that can create almost like a kit set version of the pyramids. And all we need is for the people that want to have it in that region or that area is to find the land and make sure that it's approved for doing what we're doing, you know, getting the zonings, all those sorts of things. And we anticipate that in the future there will be many pyramids of tea around the planet. It's not meant just for Bali. Awesome. That's, I'm happy to hear that. As an entrepreneur, that gives me a thrill as well, of course, you know, yeah. because um, I'm not worried about the money side anymore. Um, what, what I'm focused on is a legacy, and that legacy is taking sound healing to the rest of the world. Get away from the whole pharmaceutical industry, get back to what really does work. Beautiful. 
The last section I have on the podcast called Rapid Fire Questions. So same question I ask every guest. You can answer short form. You can answer as you like long form. Anyway, one. What are some of the routines that you have? Could be morning routines, evening routines mm-hmm. uh, that help you keep motivated and working on your mission. Okay. Okay. I'm an early riser. So my body clock wakes me up every morning around about 6.04. All right. <laughs> Most of my dismay sometimes if I've gone to bed late, you know. So I go out, I make, uh, turn the kettle on and I make my uh, uh, lemon juice and ginger for my wife and myself. Um, and that's how we start the day off. Lemon juice and ginger are great for, you know, keeping the flu away and just generally helping your, um, your system. All right. So I'll take it in to Lynn, I'll leave it on the side table there. I'll sometimes get a murmur from her, but otherwise I just retreat back to our dining area. And then I meditate. And it might be a five-minute meditate, it might be an hour's meditate. Sometimes I use music, sometimes I just sit there in wonder. Because I live in a beautiful place where we look out over the rice fields and at that time of the morning, it's quite ethereal and quite good. I do have seven dogs at home. Wow, all seven rescue, dogs. All rescue dogs. You know, we find them when we're walking our dogs, you know. Um, and so they all tend to come up and say hi in the mornings and then they'll lay around near me or they go back to, to Lynn in the bedroom and they'll keep her company, you know. Not on the beds, but keep her company, you know. And... I feel their energy. Sometimes one of them will just come up and they've all got their own, spe- they're all barley dogs, they've all got their own special personalities. And they'll come up and they'll just be looking for a bit of a, uh, a stroking or maybe they'll just put their head on my, my lap and just shut their eyes and sort of doze on their feet. And it's, it's so nice in the mornings to start that, start my life off that way. One of the things I have learned, everybody, is don't get up and jump on your emails or your Instagrams, or your phones. Come on, folks. You know, phones are controlling our lives these days. Computers are controlling our lives. Take time out for yourselves. Take time out to think about what you want to do today for yourself. Not for everybody else, but for yourself initially. Because if you don't look after number one, you know, you'll, you'll end up in grief some way or other. Um, and then also look at who do you really want to help or do something for today. I love that process, you know. Um, whether it's just smiling at people on the way to work. Um, we live about two kilometres away from from the pyramids. Or whether it's targeting one of our staff members or a visitor that we know is coming that day. Uh, we might want to talk to them about something it's of interest to them and to us. But the objective is, and I love that word that comes out of Bhutan, joy. Yeah. You know, the whole belief structure is to create joy every day. And when I first saw that uh, 60 Minutes program on that, I thought, what a great, great idea. You know, focus your day on creating joy in your life and in others. And so we try to practice that. Not easy. Not easy, not when you've got, you know, issues with the immigration department wanting you to send all extra documents down for your visas or 
or the banks haven't done a transfer when they should have done a transfer, these sorts of things. But you've got to kind of put your mind out of that. And when I was teaching the law of attraction, Michelle, her name was, she said to me, Peter, you know how I deal with that, these nagging thoughts or the negative thoughts? She said, I write it on a whiteboard, I take a cloth and I wipe it off. Interesting. You know, so I, 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 I remove it from my thoughts, you know, and not necessarily always physically, but I imagine myself writing it and, and wiping it out as well. So as far as a process goes, yeah, we all have to try and process ourselves to think or to get our mindset in the right place. Yeah. It's very easy to slip. Very easy to start complaining about the weather, to start complaining about, you know, someone who's not performing, whatever. Don't do it. It's not worth it. I have a wonderful story about my wife and I. Come the 6th of November, uh, which is a month away, whatever, um, we will have been together 28 years. Uh, we met through, I have no doubt, divine intervention because it should never have ever happened because of what we were doing at the time, but it happened. We've only ever gone to bed twice, twice in our entire lives without saying goodnight to one another. Wow. Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. Very nice. You know, so I think it's a great way to approach life. Don't don't carry grudges. Don't carry miseries or negatives or anything like that. You approach life with what can I do to make myself happy and others happy as well. If you do that, and you build that into your regimes every day, walk in the park. Awesome. <laughs> uh, two more questions. One is, what were some of the beliefs that they used to hold? It could be a year ago, a day ago, 10 years ago, you choose, choose any, any time frame that you don't hold anymore. Being judgmental. I was terribly judgmental. You know, I'd see what people were driving. I'd see the look on their faces. I'd see the clothes they're wearing. And I'd prejudge people. So wrong. So wrong. <laughs> I had this beautiful lady about three years ago. And I say beautiful in an in a, in a internal way. She came to have a session in the pyramids. I don't know, and I thought, why is she here? You know. Because I was still, no, this is five years ago, just after we started. And, you know, and I thought, why is she here? She's got tattoos from head to foot. She's got studs everywhere you could put them. She's got rings through eyebrows and noses and all this sort of stuff, lips and whatever. I said, you know, you've got the goth image, the clothes, all the rest of it, but why are you, why are you at the Pyramids of Chi? It's a, it's a sound healing centre, it's a relaxation centre, whatever. And I thought, well, here I go, I'm judging her, right? Um, she kind of saw it in my face, I think, uh, but she smiled at me. She came out of the session later, and um, I went over to her, and I said, I'm sorry if I looked at you like I was judging you. And she says, I get that all the time. People don't understand, you know, what my image is about. And I said, so what is your image about? And you're going to laugh at the next one. She says, I really don't know anymore after that session on the pyramid. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, really, all this 
paraphernalia that you see on me is to impress my friends. It doesn't do anything for me. In fact, some of it's downright painful. You know, um, things in my tongue and eyebrows and nose and that. She said, but, you know, in the group that I'm in, this gothic-type group, it's seen as being, you know, what's, what's your latest stud or yeah. what's your latest hat, you know. And she said, and um, I got a message when I was in there that um, it's not important. It really isn't important. People have got to see what's within me. Uh, and she's quite a large girl, not fat, but quite large. And she says... Um, I got told I've got to work on my voice, right? This particular lady cried her eyes out with me, right, um, in, in sharing that with me. I got very emotional with her. I'm in touch with her at least once a month, you know, usually on, on Facebook or something. She has an amazing following now of other ladies that were going through similar things because she had a one of those relationships where she was being beaten up by a partner all the time. Um, so she now takes groups around the world without the tats, without she's still got the tats, unfortunately, but without all the jewellery uh, to different places, you know, um, Costa Rica, Bali, New Zealand, whatever, to teach them how they can recover from what they're in. Yeah. I know this is a very long-winded way of telling you, you know, things that you need to get over, but that that beautiful lady, uh, Marilyn, she is now recorded probably, I don't know, I don't know what you record these days, records, tapes, CDs, whatever they are, and her last name's escaping me right now because I think of her as Mary. But anyway, she's. Um, if any of, the inst- any of the listeners are interested, drop me an email, Peter at pyramidsofchi.com. Drop me an email, I'll send it to you. We'll, we'll put in the show notes. So yeah. I'll, I'll ask you, and then we'll put show notes for this so people can check yeah, it out. Yeah, good. And she has got the most awesome voice, still got the tats, yeah. still, but sings in the most incredible ways, and she's reaching ladies with the same problems that she had. And she lays the whole change back to the pyramids. Wow. Right? And she's, she's given me credit for, you know, you know, coming out and saying, I apologize for judging you. So don't judge anybody, folks. That's one of the, that's one of the, the big things that I now realize. And there's other things I've already mentioned at smiling at people. Um, you know, beforehand, I saw someone smiling at me. I go, what's wrong with them? You know. Yeah. Or um, I love doing something now that I used to laugh about before. I love doing random acts of kindness. Yeah. And I, I never forget crossing the Sydney Harbour Bridge once and it's a toll to get across. And as I'm approaching the toll gate, because I was getting angry because the, the, the car in front of me, or two, not, my, not the initial car in front of me, but the one in front of that, seemed to be taking a long time. And so this guy's trying to wave me through, and I stopped and said, hang on, I haven't paid my toll yet. The person two up from you has already paid your toll for you. Wow. And I said, why? And he said, because that's what some people do here. And I'm thinking, what a dropkick. Yeah. It's only a couple of bucks, but why waste two bucks on 
giving somebody money that you don't even know. But you know, I've become a dropkick. Yeah. Because doing those things not only makes you feel great, but the person that's on the receiving end feels great as well. So instead of being critical about what others are doing, maybe give it a bit more thought. Awesome. That's beautiful. The last question I have is a deep one. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm very curious how you're going to answer that. Uh, how to live a fulfilling life? Listen to your heart before your head. That's the easiest answer. Listen to your heart every time. Or maybe for some guys, listen to your gut. Listen to that first. That stuff that keeps your ears apart, we all know <laughs> what that is, yeah. will just get you into trouble time and time again. But your heart will never let you down if you listen to what it's telling you. And you've got to listen carefully. It's not just, oh, I think he's gorgeous, I think he's wonderful, I think he's got you know the most amazing eyes. That's your brain. Yeah. Listen to the emotion that's coming from your heart, the deep feeling. And that doesn't matter whether it's a decision on what you're doing in your life, in your business, in your occupation, in your sports. Always listen to that gut feeling. Listen to that heart feeling because it'll never let you down. Beautiful. Uh, well, Peter, always a pleasure to learn from you. <laughs> Uh, thank you very much. Before we go, how can people find more about Pyramids of Chi, yourself? Well, it's easy, www.pyramidsofchi.com. Awesome. And it's pyramids, not pyramid. Pyramidsofchi.com. And you'll find all our contacts and everything else on there. You'll find out a lot more about the pyramids and what we do. They really are an amazing opportunity for people to hit that reset button in many ways, whether they feel they need it or not. And if you're looking for a great holiday, come to Ubud. Yeah. You know, come here. It's, um, it's really laid back. It's really chilled. Um, and we'd love to meet you. Awesome. And Peter, you also has, have a very active Facebook page yourself. I was following <laughs> you and you're sharing a lot of cool stuff. So I will put in the show notes as well. Thank if you, you guys want to check out Peter's Facebook, I highly recommend it. There's yeah. a lot of... And and check out our Pyramids Facebook too because we get some really interesting stuff pop up on that too. Amazing. We'll put it all in the show notes so you guys can check it out. Peter, thanks again for your time. It was a great pleasure. Thank you, Anatoly, and keep up spreading the word, my friend. Thank you. For everyone listening, you guys can find us on Time Million Journey everywhere you're looking for, and I'll talk to you next one. Bye-bye.